Everyone should take Christ as a model and try to be like him. No one should try to be like any other man. It is well to copy the virtues of all men as far as possible, but it's equally important to remember that every man has faults which ought to be avoided and corrected. But some men have less than others. G.C. Brewer gave this opinion. When I become gloomy and doubts trouble me, and when my faith in humanity begins to waver, I get one of Brother Larimore's books, and I read some of his sermons and letters, and the world gets brighter. Human souls seem more precious. My heart becomes tender. God is nearer, and heaven is a reality. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I'm really looking forward to this. So I mentioned this in the room across. Uh, the book says that uh, we're going to talk about identified by Christ now, identified by character at 11. I've switched those. We're going to talk about character now and identified by Christ at 11. Um, and the reason for that is because I want to kind of build up a case for how Laramore thought about thinking as a Christian. And of course, uh, he was like many people, uh, like many wise people, he wanted to do before he taught. He wanted to set the example first. So getting clear on the kind of character that he wanted to exude, he wanted everybody to have, then we'll see how that flows into his view of Christian unity and his view about what kind of topics to fill the sermon with and what not to fill the sermon with. And so we'll talk about all that in, in order. But I, I'm going to mention some of the same things uh, in all three lectures, and these are the same things, so I want you to hear these three points. Uh, the first is that uh, character is the measure of the Christian. So over and over again, we're going to see that for him, when he died, he wanted to make sure that everybody he knew would respond with, I saw Christ in that man. That was, that was ultimate for him. I saw Christ in that man. Uh, character was, was key. Second, he believed that he could do far more good by serving people, helping people where they are, finding common ground, and maintaining fellowship than he did in fighting over things that he didn't think were central. And then third, he believed that the gospel was so powerful, so important, so good, so pure, you could spend all your time talking about that, and you still would not, uh, you would not have wasted any time, and you'll never get around to a lot of the other stuff that tends to gender strife among God's people. And so those were his three approaches. The way you live, the way you have peace with your brothers, and the way in which you focus on the story of Christ. So uh, I want to talk uh, about Laramore with you. Some of you, would you uh, just let me know this? Raise your hand if you've never heard the name T.B. Laramore. Okay. All right. This is great. So um, I get a chance to introduce you and uh, tell you all the good things about him, none of the bad things, and that way you will love him as I do. Um, I want to tell you, first of all, that um, the reason why I'm talking about him is uh, plays into this point. I am a biased source. Uh, I don't know. How many of you read uh, George W. Bush's book about his father or know about it? Have you heard about that book? He says in the first page, he says, this is not... <laughs> 
an unbiased account. <laughs> says, this is not going to be an objective approach. This is my father who I love, and I'm going to... Well, I am, I am a biased source. Um, I attended the school that he founded. T.B. Lenormore founded Mars Hill Bible School in Florence, Alabama in 1871. Uh, I attended Mars Hill Bible School, which is still around, and I graduated from there. While a student there, I read a book called Larimore and His Boys, and uh, uh, Dan Stockster was kind enough to bring a table in. Where is it, Dan? There's a table over there, and I'd love for you to peruse the table. I've got a bunch of memorabilia from the 1800s. I've got, uh, there are three sermons written by Larimore in Larimore's handwriting. You can see over here, one on unity, one on grace, one on the spirit of Christianity. Uh, There is um, uh, a lot of good stuff over there, but that's the school that I I attended. Uh, I read a book called Larimore and His Boys, which was published in 1888 by one of his students, and it is a glowing, doting uh, story. Everybody here deserves to have someone write your life story the way this guy wrote about Larimore. I mean, he's just, he's Superman by the time you're done reading this thing. And I read that and I fell in love with Larimore. And so that meant a lot to me. And I also found a kindred spirit in terms of characteristics. Uh, he preached and was buried in California. I grew up in California, not buried there yet, but, you know, a lot of connections. He had a gentle temperament. He hated conflict. And I mean, I think he may have had uh, almost pathologically aversion to conflict. And he wanted unity deeply, and, and, and so do I. Uh, he was conservative by nature. His, his default was, let's try to be cautious, which, which tends to be uh, true with me. He had very close friends and family that had very uh, differing views, but he wanted to try to keep peace with all of them and uh, found thought of himself as somebody who could stand in lots of different camps and still uh, be able to keep his balance. And he couldn't sing worth a lick, and we have that in common as well. Uh, the, one of the only negative things I ever said about him was that he would he would sing with gusto and uh, people just tried very hard to uh, close their ears. I, I became president of the school uh, of Mars Hill a few years ago. So this is my third year as president there. And this is our 150th anniversary. So I want you to see how I have a lot of reasons to really like the guy and to speak very positively about him. And I want you to know where I'm coming from. So I'm, I'm quite selective in the way I do history. Now, Larimore is not without criticism. Uh, He had criticism in his own day. David Lipscomb wrote some pretty scathing things about Larimore. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit later. And then later he said very glowing things about Larimore. And then Larimore, as is typical, said very glowing things about Lipscomb. Uh, there was uh, some uh, some uh, Tant boys, a uh, whole family of them, that didn't really like Larimore very much and let, let people know it. Is that J.D. Tant? Um, I, I wrote Tant here. I want to make sure I think so. Yeah, uh, I think that's the Tant I'm thinking of who wrote the, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, my good friend Andrew Phillips. Is Andrew here, by the way? Uh, Andrew Phillips preaches for the Graymere Church in uh, Nashville. Um, Andrew, when he was at Harding Graduate School, wrote his master's thesis. This was 2006. I don't know if you remember, but uh, 1906 was sort of the census division of Christian churches and churches of Christ. So 2006, a lot of talk was going on about, well, what's a way to kind of talk about unity or about differences uh, at the 100th anniversary? And he wrote his his thesis on, is the Larimore way... (laughs) 
the way for churches to think about how to deal with differences about issues. And his conclusion, after being very kind to Laramore, reading the, being very careful with his writing, his conclusion was, no, I don't think this is the way we should go. So I want you to know that he's not without criticism. Um, and we may disagree about uh, about that, but in, in keeping with Laramore, you'll see that it's possible to disagree without being disagreeable. Um, I think the more progressive-minded people in Churches of Christ or in the Restoration Movement at large often use Laramore selectively and uh, to suit their own ends. And I think the more conservative folks do too. And uh, Laramore is one of those interesting figures where it depends on how you read him and how you use him, you can end up using him to your own ends. Got to be careful about that. Um, and I have a personal criticism. I think he loved the Bible deeply and at some points became what I would call a biblicist when a little bit of maybe a theology class would have helped a little bit in a couple of places. But I really do value him uh, far above most people that I've read about. And times and environments change. I don't advocate a one-to-one relationship when you're dealing with historical figures and the present day. It's unfair to the historical person to judge them by uh, modern sensibilities 150 years later. And it's also unfit for a modern day to think if we just act like they did 150 years ago, everything's going to be great. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way time works. And uh, But we can learn something. These are examples. And then the last little caveat before I begin. We could be accused of making a saint out of these men and only highlighting their good points or letting them be our examples rather than Christ. I want you to know that Laramore was concerned about that. Um, as I said, his student and his biographer, F.D. Uh, Strigley, wrote this glowing book, Laramore and His Boys, made him a legend while he was still alive. And then as uh, Strigley laid on his deathbed, he was editing a collection of sermons of Laramore's. And in the introduction, he deals with this criticism that he had received. And this is, this is the introduction to um, letters and sermons of T.B. Laramore. Whatever estimate a discriminating public may form of him, either as a man or as a preacher, I believe those who study this book carefully will know him exactly as I have known him both as a confidential friend and as a noted preacher for more than 30 years. While I had unlimited permission to publish any or all of his private letters, which in my judgment would be good, regardless of consequences to himself, I've not used that liberty to gratify the reader's curiosity or to create sensations or to make a hero of T.B. Laramore. I have simply tried by quotations to exemplify in his life, as he has tried to teach in his sermons, that which will help sinners become Christians, encourage Christians to live godly in Christ Jesus, and stimulate preachers to labor earnestly to convert sinners and save souls. It may be said that the letters quoted in this book don't fairly represent the man, because they all indicate virtues and reveal no faults. In some of the letters quoted, he frankly admits that his mistakes have been many and marvelous, but says he's always done what he believed was right when he did it. That's enough to show that he would not have anyone consider him perfect. It's well for everyone to remember always that there has been but one perfect life in the whole history of the human race, and that was the life of Jesus of Nazareth. All other lives have been and are imperfect. Even when a man's motives are always good and his purpose is always to do right, his judgment is not infallible, and he's liable at any time to do wrong unawares and unintentionally. 
For this reason, everyone should take Christ as a model and try to be like him. No one should try to be like any other man. It is well to copy the virtues of all men as far as possible, but it's equally important to remember that every man has faults which ought to be avoided and corrected. But some men have less than others. And uh, A.B. Herring, a Mars Hill alumnus, wrote, T.B. Larimore is human. He sometimes makes mistakes, as all men do. But I feel constrained to say this of him. I have made two trips across the continent, have breathed the atmosphere of 33 states, have basked in the sunshine of Mexico, and trod the soil of Canada. But in all my travels, I have never been associated with a finer character than T.B. Larimore. <laughs> Lee Jackson an alumnus of Mars Hill Academy, reflected on the connection between the school of his youth and its illustrious founder. He said, on everything and everybody, Brother Larimore seemed to have impressed his own personality to a very remarkable degree. He was held in personal admiration and affection by everyone. And as a result, his gentle humility, kind disposition, and refinement of manner were reflected in teachers and pupils and in all others within the range of the school's influence. A spirit of fellowship and sympathy prevailed among all, and all were happy in their associations of friendship and Christian love. F.D. Strigley, Mars Hill graduate, described Larimore's gentleness of spirit this way. There is a gentleness in his nature that impresses itself upon the churches he builds up, the pupils he teaches, and the converts he makes. Wherever he labors, he not only instructs people in the doctrine of Christ, but teaches and shows them how to receive, retain, and cultivate the spirit of Christ as well. There was a magnetism to his personality that was steeped in the warmth of his Christian character. It is hardly possible to associate with Brother Larimore and not be made better, said one contributor to the Gospel Advocate in 1901. He is very greatly loved by all who know him. As usual, wrote another admirer, wherever Brother Larimore holds a protracted meeting, everybody falls in love with him. Perhaps this is why one writer in the Sherman Democrat in 1894 declared probably no man has visited the city who is more universally admired. That same year, F.D. Strigley offered a similar note. Certainly, no other preacher is personally known, respected, trusted, and loved by more people in a wider field than T.B. Larimore. In 1904, Selena Holman, who we'll talk more about later, summed up all of these sentiments in a single paragraph. He is marvelously magnetic. To know him is to love him. To call him brother is a pleasure. He has hosts of friends, loyal and true. He is loved by men, women, and children as few have ever been loved. Now, this seems to be a lifelong trait of T.B. Larimore. When he preached a series of sermons at the age of 27, a church leader wrote to the gospel advocate to describe our young and beloved Larimore and said this, Brother Larimore is a preacher of rare ability and deserves the attention of the brotherhood as an evangelist. With the strength of noble manhood, he sweetly blends the simplicity and humility of childhood 
in his discourses. He forgets himself and lets the Lord speak to the people through his words. By his earnest, faithful, and admirable presentations of the truth, he has charmed the hearts of this community. The people throng to hear him. 27. Among the tributes offered when Laramore died in 1929... His friends and admirers would write letters in to the, to the advocate, into the firm foundation. And they described him as the personification of love, the great apostle of love, the very embodiment of kindness, a living example of gentleness, exemplified the grace of love. They spoke of his mild and gentle manner. They praised his peerless example of patience, deep humility of spirit, coupled with unsurpassed godliness and brotherly love. A.M. Burton wrote, Love for God and love for man seemed to me to be the keynote that ran through his entire life. F.C. Sowell, who graduated from Mars Hill, said he was so gentle, kind, and good that one would feel that if everybody in the world were just like him, it would give one a foretaste of what heaven would be. Those are big shoes to fill when you're the president of the same school where he was the president of. <laughs> and this is the way they talked about him. Uh, back, in, back, in the, uh, back in the day, a gospel advocate, if uh, somebody of, of note had passed away, they'd write a cover article about him. If there was somebody of significant note, they would devote the whole, uh, the whole edition to them. The letters pouring in for Laramore covered three different editions. This is the kind of man he was and the kind of legacy that he left. And it started young. So he was only 27 when he decided to start Mars Hill Academy. And he writes, about the beginning of 1870, free from debt, but without a dollar, a man in size, but scarcely more than a youth in judgment, experience and appearance, I conceived the idea of establishing on a track of land, constituting my wife Esther's inheritance, a school for boys and girls, such a school as I believed to be needed then and there. I think I never thought of the possibility of failure, believing success to be a necessary certainty. And on January 1st, 1871, Laramore opened the doors of his house for the first session of Mars Hill Academy for males and females. Classes and boarding took place in the building surrounding the Laramore house. The home itself was a beautiful three-story house with three hallways and 13 rooms. A large bell weighing 1,800 pounds sat behind the home in the middle of campus and could be heard up to eight miles away. By the way, that bell is now in a Methodist church building in Arkansas, and they will not let me have it back. <laughs> From the beginning, Laramore sought to associate the school with affordability and benevolence. In the first few years, the set price for boarding students was $130 a year. The fee for non-boarding day scholars was $42.50. And with sympathy for those loving parents, unable to afford these prices and wanting their kids to go to school there, he wrote this. Our neighbors who are not able to educate their children can have them admitted to all the privileges of this institution if they give a written certificate of their inability to pay, accompanied by $15 to assist in defraying the actual expenses of books and certificates. The unfortunate among our neighbors who cannot even pay for books 
they will be received into, into this institution and will receive all the benefits and be treated with all the possible kindness and attention entirely free of charge by, by furnishing a written certificate stating inability to pay and furnishing a good reason for such inability. I have not tried this. <laughs> Laramore borrowed funds and worked feverishly to keep the school in operation. According to his biographer, he chopped wood, carried water, swept the classrooms and study hall, carried stove wood, rang the school bell, built fires for young lady boarders, helped arrange the dining room, helped in the kitchen, worked in the garden, fed the stock, and helped to dress the children. Oh, and by the way, he was also traveling, raising money for the school and preaching, and he would preach twice every day and three times on Sunday. Each term lasted for the first half of the year. The rest of the year was devoted to preparation, preaching, and fundraising. According to his biographer, Laramore preach, his preaching trips involved walking long distances over the hills of Alabama, preaching the plain gospel to crowds of anxious hearers in schoolhouses, old barns, vacant storerooms, and under the trees. He was trying to, to live in such a way that students would remark, I want to be like that. And he was trying to live in a way in which people would say, so that I can be like Christ. He preached a sermon called Christ and Christians. And in that sermon, Laramore set out the basic reason for his genuine love and kindness for all of God's people. As you treat Christians, said Laramore, so you treat Christ. And so far as it bears on your destiny, it has the same effect as if done to Christ personally. If you hate a child of God, the Savior takes it as hating him. If you reproach a child of God, the Savior takes it as if you reproached him. And if you do good to a child of God, it is as if you did the same thing to Jesus. All these things being true, I want to ask you this question. If we love the children of the living God, if we cultivate that love, cherish the tenderest, truest, and purest love for the sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty, are we not thus loving the Lord? His kindness was on display and the world took notice. I don't know if you know this, but recently there's been a, a pandemic. <laughs> In 1878, there was a yellow fever epidemic that swept through Florence. Laramore became heavily involved in the citywide relief effort. He joined hands with others. He acted unilaterally to much acclaim. And he also used his school to help hurting people. And a writer for the Florence Gazette, the local newspaper, could not contain his appreciation. Quote, this gentleman, by his course during the late epidemic, acquired a high position in the hearts of the people of Florence. When our people did not know where to turn for safety, and when many kind-hearted country people would not permit a person from Florence to alight at their doors... Mr. Larimore welcomed all who came to him and furnished them houses at Mars Hill free of charge. Of the 90 persons who sojourned at Mars Hill during the fever in Florence, not one was sick or died. This speaks volumes for the health of Mars Hill. We wish Mr. Larimore every success in his school. The Christian church should sustain it fully. Just as Jesus and his followers taught people to entertain strangers, Laramore offered his home for anybody in need. 
during the summer break between the terms in 1879. He offered the following invitation to those seeking to avoid the summer heat in the local newspaper. Much of our room will probably be vacant. If circumstances render it necessary or desirable for any of our Florence friends to seek a home here during the warm weather, as was the case last year, we desire them to consider themselves invited to do so. To such accommodations as our place affords, all are more than welcome. He was even cordial when situations almost seemed to demand the opposite. On one occasion, Larimore entered a barber shop in Tuscumbia to receive a haircut. The barber decided to play a prank on him, or so Larimore thought, and shaved his head. <laughs> According to F.B. Srigley, uh, F.B., so F.D. Srigley is his biographer. F.B. Srigley is the brother of F.D. Srigley, also a Mars Hill student. Quote, he sat and allowed the barber to do this and said not a word, though he was a stranger. He seemed to feel that it was his duty to submit to this, and he did it without a word of complaint. Larimore's legendary kindness toward others came from two sources. On the one hand, he was timid, and his natural temperament involved unusual sensitivity. F.B. Srigley, writing about him years later, said he was naturally timid, but eloquent and persuasive in his manner. He was timid and did not speak up as quickly as some have done, but his purpose was always good. David Lipscomb said he is of a tender, shrinking, sensitive temperament and feels so keenly unkindness that I feel for him most keenly when he suffers it. On the other hand, Larimore's motivation was also supernatural, rooted in his love for Christ. In one of his letters he wrote, he said, I cannot disappoint Jesus. Larimore's kindness extended to young and old. He was especially fond of children, and the feeling was mutual. The spirit of the man is so kind and gentle, wrote one admirer in 1894, that little children throng around him in swarms just for a smile and a warm shake of his hand. Ten years later, another biographer noted that Larimore spoke always so plain, simple, and gentle that little children understand him perfectly and love him devotedly. None can look into his face and doubt that he is a good man, wrote Selina Holman. Larimore not only showcased a blameless life, but he had a gentle grace and a dignity all of his own. He was also a man of spirituality and quiet humility. People loved and admired him for his impressive preaching abilities. But in spite of that, Larimore was clothed in humility. One biography of him that appeared in 1904 says, He has gone with honor through two colleges and founded one. He is the admired hero of several popular books. And as a minister of the gospel, he is regarded by thousands as second to none. But he never boasts, tries to display his learning, or seems to be conscious of his worth. He speaks evil of none, is envious of none, and considers himself no better than the humblest of his brethren. 
Many well-known preachers of his day were known for having a fighting spirit with a penchant for debate. Larimore did not oppose debates. In fact, some of his students became very well-known debaters. And I've heard, I haven't seen the source, but I've heard that there's some source out there that shows that Larimore helped provide information for his students in preparing for debates. I don't doubt that a bit. He probably would have helped both sides, by the way. Um, but he, he was somebody who was happy to help every chance he got. He didn't oppose debates. But in his personal life, Larimore danced to a different tune, offering a quiet, tender, peace-loving approach. He was humble and gentle, never abusive, rough or unkind, and he opted for listening kindly rather than public sparring. H. Leo Bowles wrote a biography sketch of a lot of preachers, and uh, when he got to Larimore, this was his quote. His humble manner and pious behavior gave him ready and easy access to the hearts of the people. Brother Larimore was kind and gentle in his nature. It was not his style or disposition to engage in controversy or to be offensive in his preaching. This was true at a very early age. In 1869, when Larimore was 25, the gospel advocate ran a little statement about him. The efforts of our young brother, so mild, kind, tender, pathetic, which I think is a compliment, and convincing, for he said nothing calculated to wound the feelings of the most sensitive, yet presented truth calculated to convict and convince the most obstinate, attentive observer. It was also true in his older years. An advertising card from Pittsfield, Maine, which I have, I don't think it's on the table, I think it's in a, in a bag underneath, dated August 25, 1911, invites those in Maine to come hear Laramore preach, and it notes, quote, he abuses nobody, he assails nobody's religion. In his entire life, Laramore only engaged in one public debate. And that was very early in his career. And I'm not sure anybody really thought it was a debate. Srigley, who describes it in Larimore and His Boys, says, The day passed pleasantly without a discourteous or unkind word being spoken by either person against the other. The audience was about equally divided in opinion concerning the merits of the doctrines advocated, but unanimous in the feeling that it was by far the most lovely and brotherly religious argumentation ever heard in that community. I don't doubt it. Michael Casey, uh, before he passed, wrote that Larimore exhibited an alternative to the debate tradition an alternative which believed that preaching could transform culture, not merely oppose and attack. Casey calls this a spiritual, ironic, grace-oriented, culture-transforming tradition of preaching that characterized the ministry of Larimore. Larimore sought to emphasize and cultivate this type of spirituality. One writer in 1906 claimed his sermons and his letters breathe a healthy religious spirit. H. Leo Bowles, all of these books, the books of Laramore's sermons over there, 
breathed the gentle spirit of the great man whose life and work inspired them. They are rich in spiritual blessings to those who may read them. Indeed, Laramore exuded the spirit of Christ in his preaching, and it affected every church with whom he labored. Our congregation is revolutionized, said one church elder in the middle of a gospel meeting to the gospel advocate. The spirit of Christ is manifest everywhere among us. T.E. Tatum, writing in 1902, described the effects of a Laramore meeting in his hometown of Weatherford. Quote, In his matchless way, Brother Laramore continues to preach clearly and fearlessly, yet courteously, kindly, meekly, humbly, and forcibly, giving offense to no one, but commanding the confidence, love, and respect of all who listen long enough to appreciate the spirit of the speaker, it being so similar to the spirit of the master whom he diligently serves. Now, what preacher wouldn't love to be described that way after doing a gospel meeting? Laramore believed that preaching the story of Christ with a gentle spirit could inspire and transform a generation of Christians to be more spiritual. Indeed, his approach inspired an entire tradition. F.L. Rowe, the editor of The Christian Leader, had a simple line that he would ask himself whenever he faced a troubling situation. He would ask himself, what would Brother Laramore do? Long before WWJD was WWLD. Laramore would be horrified to see that comparison made. By the life he lived and the gentle nature of his teaching, wrote J.M. McCaleb, Laramore was able to deepen the spiritual life of many. Laramore taught and baptized Ruby Morrow Young, the mother of M. Norville Young, uh, the future president of Pepperdine University. In 1991, um, an author went and interviewed uh, Norville Young, who recalled that his mother's influence and that of Laramore in the surrounding counties of Middle Tennessee was unique and spiritual. According to Norville Young, he claimed no memory of either a legalistic or exclusivist outlook in the churches of his youth. Instead, he recalled a pietistic perspective centered on prayer, love, and one's relation to God through Christ. G.C. Brewer, once uh, he, he talks about this in a letter upon Laramore's death, but he once gave this opinion. When I become gloomy and doubts trouble me, and when my faith in humanity begins to waver, I get one of Brother Laramore's books, and I read some of his sermons and letters, and the world gets brighter. Human souls seem more precious. My heart becomes tender. God is nearer, and heaven is a reality. Laramore passed from this life in 1929. When word spread of his passing, letters of appreciation came pouring into the offices of Christian periodicals, the Christian Standard, the Firm Foundation, the Gospel Advocate. As I said before, it was traditional to print some of these letters for a notable or even turn over an entire issue to a brother of renown. 
These letters span three gospel advocate issues that year. One of the more moving tributes came from the pen of J.W. Brintz. There has perhaps never lived a more brilliant orator than Brother Laramore. Had he chosen any other field of endeavor, his name would have been written high upon the scroll of fame, but notwithstanding his brilliant gifts as a speaker. If I should seek to touch the secret of his greatness, I believe I would lay my hand upon his heart. His sympathies, his noble heartfulness ran like a silver current throughout all of his life. Perhaps one word would say enough. He loved little children. E.C. Fuqua wrote this. T.B. Larimore was great. Christ made him great. He placed himself in the hands of his Savior, and greatness is the inevitable reward for this. He was great in humility, in gentleness, in faith, in love. In few men have the seven Christian graces found so perfect a setting, especially the higher ones, brotherly kindness and love. I believe these were absolutely perfect in him. And to admit this is to acknowledge perfection in the earlier and fundamental attainments in the same inspired catalog. In him, I learned that men can be perfect. Those are in quotation marks. If they want to be. One of his friends put it succinctly. The world is better and happier because T.B. Larimore has lived in it. I am incredibly honored to follow in his footsteps. And I'm proud to say that Laramore's legacy lives on. I think that the open, inviting, bridge-building community of peace, generosity, humility, and charity continues to be what we strive for at Mars Hill. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguy.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.